Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone. I hope you're having a great day. I'm coming at you from Father's Day weekend. It's a big day. You know, when I was a kid, it was a really big day. And then I moved away from my home and married Tim and we never had kids. And so Father's Day... It was harder to celebrate when you weren't physically there with your dad. You know, I'd always call him, send him a little something, tell him I love him. But, you know, how how often do you really sit down with your dad? And hopefully your dads are still around. And some of us, you know, our dads are gone now. So I'm saying this out loud because I think it's important. How often do you really sit down and get to know your dad and tell him how much you appreciate what he did for you? So I think today or this weekend on Sunday, Father's Day is a celebration and it's really made me think about what it means to be a dad. And I can't answer that because I'm not a dad, (laughs) but I can say that a dad's relationship with his child is often very different than a mom's relationship with her child. And what I can tell you is what two very important dads mean to me. So I'm going to start with my dad, and I hope he's listening. I know he listens to my podcast when he goes out walking, which he is limited to right now because he's had a lot of uh, hip replacement issues over the years. So dad, this... This is what I learned from you, among so many other things. You taught me the meaning of hard work. You worked at the Harris Bank in Chicago for decades. I watched you leave the wake up at 622, leave the house at 642. You were quick to drive to the train, to take the train downtown Chicago, work all day, and arrive back home around 622. You were gone 12 hours a day. You never complained. You loved your job. When you got home, you would often go for a run or mow the lawn or do something, you know, to give yourself a little free time. But then it was all family. And I know you worked at night too. I just wasn't paying attention. You taught me about that. And I took it forward in my athletic career. And it was always fun. And that's another point I'm going to bring up here. But it was always fun to have you cheering for me and being a part of my athletic success. You always had that stopwatch around your neck at swim meets. My friends would call you Coach Raj. But it wasn't in that weird psycho swim parent kind of way. You never got in the way. You were just there for us. So we would check in with the coach and then we'd go check in with you because it was just fun. And that's the other thing you taught me is that it's not worth doing if you're not having fun. And if I wasn't having fun, I never performed as well. 
And for that, I thank you so much because that has taken me where I am today. And finally, you've always reinforced that I should listen to my gut. So as I've grown up and as I started this business, um, you are my CFO, you're my financial guy, you're my advisor, and you know, you, you have really taught me some bigger picture ways to think about business that I couldn't have gotten from someone else. And it means so much to me that we get to continue and to evolve our relationship and work together in some capacity as an old kid, as a 45-year-old kid to you. So thank you, Dad. And the other dad I want to touch on today is my daughter's dad, my husband, Tim. You know, Tim and I did not want to have a kid. And we went 15 years absolutely saying, N-O, no way. We were happy with our singularly focused life and ability to work out whenever we wanted and travel the world and a dog was enough responsibility. But when we made that decision and the moment Wilder came out, you know, I had a C-section and I was loopy. And at the, you know, prior to the birth, Tim and I had made the decision that in the birthing room, if something you know, when the baby's born, if I'm okay, Tim's going to go with the baby. And if I wasn't okay and the baby was, Tim would stay with me. Well, the baby came out and I was fine. And Tim went with the baby. Tim got to have those first special moments with our daughter alone. And I'm not jealous. I feel awesome about it because he has grown more as a dad than at any time I've known him. Through the 20 years, 20 plus years we've been together, Tim has had to dig in and tap into a part of himself that I didn't, I thought was possible, but I didn't even know what it would look like. And I watch it on a daily basis. And he has such a special relationship with Wilder. She will always come to him to help her build her confidence, to give her the structure she needs. I'm not so good at that part. <laughs> and, uh, and I just see this unconditional love. And I know that his world is so much bigger for being a dad. So thank you, Tim, for making the decision to do this with me and have this little girl and to be the most engaged and active dad I've, I haven't ever seen anything like it, and I know I never will. So we're leading off on a little emotional note today, and now I'm gonna now I'm gonna segue into our guest, who fittingly is also a dad. His name is Joe Desena. Joe is the founder of the Spartan Race. He founded this company, oh, I think about a decade ago now. He wanted to create something life-changing for people. So he did. He created an experience that would push them to the limits of their physical, emotional, and spiritual selves. And he created a movement. The Spartan Race 
it's grown exponentially at a time when races are dying right and left. There are three different levels of Spartan races. There are sprints, there's the super Spartan, there's the beast. There's probably more I don't even know about because we didn't even really get into the details of the race today. I just really, I want, I wanted him to share with you why and how he did this and what makes a person like Joe DeSena tick because he truly is really special. And when we hit on being a dad, it seemed like kind of a side note, but I could hear in his voice how important it was and how much passion he has for his family and how they always come first. And I think that's the key is you take care of yourself and you take care of the people close to you. So with that, let's bring him on. Are you ready? I'm ready. Cool. All right. So Joe, thanks for coming on my show today. I'm so excited. It's been a while. I think you were my first interview, so I could not be on your show. Plus, you're awesome. You kind of owe me because I helped kick off the coolest podcast series ever. You did it. As a matter of fact, uh, when we look back at why Spartan Up is a good podcast, it's really because, <clears throat> excuse me, it's really because you were on the show. Oh, uh, you know what? I'm going to file this one away for future favors. <laughs> um, but yes, you know, I actually, ever since I did that podcast, I knew that I would want to at some point interview you because clearly you've not only discovered some secrets to how how you make things work, but um, you're just, you're an interesting dude. You have a cool background and uh, I think it's important for my community and my listeners to understand a little more about what you've built because there's a little bit of an intimidation factor that goes with Spartan. So my wife, um, my wife says I'm interesting too. I don't know if that's a compliment or, or um, interesting. <laughs> You're interesting. I hear that a lot, actually. Yeah, exactly. So you can translate that however you want. Okay, so at some point you moved over to Japan. What you know, and now you're back in the states, so we we're able to finally connect here. What's going on? Why the move to Japan? Yeah, so a couple of things. Um, I grew up in Queens, New York, and my mother back in the seventies got into uh, health food and like really crunchy stuff, meditation, yoga. Became a vegan, um, very extreme. Would go to India. Had a guru. We had monks in the living room. My dad was Italian and the whole neighborhood believed in like cement and raviolis and not necessarily together, but people would go to jail. And so my dad got my sister and I a, an account at a Chinese restaurant in town. And the idea was your mother's nuts. And if you want to get real food and escape the house, you can go get Chinese food. So anyway, I became friendly over a decade with this owner of this Chinese restaurant and just became enamored with um, the Asian culture. Fast forward, I go to college. One of my best friends is from China, um, learns English, and so very um, like like Chinese, not not American Chinese. And um, and so when I graduated college, I went over there and I just fell in love with with uh, the place. Fast forward, our oldest was nine years old, and I said to my wife, "Hey, you know, we got to grow Spartan in Asia." Why don't we move um, to Asia before the our, you know our oldest is like high school bound? So we went 
to Singapore uh, last year, and then this year we lived in Tokyo, and um, next year we may be going to Shanghai. Who knows? But it's been it's been great for the family. It's been great for the business. It's been tough to do Skypes and and phone calls because of the time differences. But um, and it really turned my life upside down from on a personal level because what would happen is um, in the mornings you got to wake up obviously and do phone calls, but you got to be up doing phone calls at like four in the morning, five in the morning, and then you get a lull in the afternoon, and then at night I got to basically recharge myself because everybody wants to talk again. So it's like two days for every one day, and so I just I've been exhausted for the last two years. Well, um, and I've been exhausted for five years, but that's because I had a kid. You, there, you go. there you go. Spartan's kind of one of your kids here, but let's. You did a lot of fast forwarding there, and I love the story and how one you know one thing always leads to the next in life. So any experience you have, you can't discount how it may influence your life later on, right? No doubt about it. Every every little tiny decision, every little uh, thing that comes your way affects uh, affects your life and profound ways well let's go back you you talked about growing up in queens and your mom getting kind of crazy and becoming a vegan (laughs) you know your maybe love affair with uh food and you know at some point i read quite a few articles about you you know you were not always an athlete right not like you no i i um i was uh, obsessed with being fit i wanted a six-pack I wanted to be rugged, um, like the guys in the neighborhood that were, you know, bricklayers and or organized crime guys. And so I, but I was not a formal athlete. I didn't play any any particular sports in school. I I raced my BMX bike, but that was about it. Oh, that's so cool. Well, at some point, you know, you well, you have a pretty cool entrepreneurial background. What's the first business you started? Well, my parents got divorced, and when they were getting divorced, my neighbor who was a big shot in the organized crime scene, he took me in under his wing and he had me clean his swimming pool. And that was my first, well, my first business really was pre, was probably nine or 10 years old. I was selling fireworks. But um, but my first legitimate business was cleaning his swimming pool and then he got me a bunch of customers. And before you know it, uh, I had a, a small construction business and swimming pool cleaning business that got me through college. Oh, wow. So you, okay. So first of all, organized crime, you keep mentioning this. You could have taken a life of crime. What led you down the good path? Um, yeah, that's, that's a crazy question because, um, it could, you're right. Like you said, the things that, that that confront you in life, um, can impact you in profound ways. And many of my friends and some relatives, uh, just getting out of jail now after 25 years. So, um, Definitely a direction that would have been very easy because that's where most people went. Um, my mom really changed that direction by by getting into uh, the right things and then getting divorced and then moving my sister and I to Ithaca, New York um, in my teens really changed the game. I would come back and forth from Ithaca to run my business, but at least I was getting grounded and seeing that actually this is not the way everybody lives. Um, and so, you know, we're all a product of our, our environment and she got me out of the environment. That's a really good point. Created a new environment. Uh, yeah. what would you say was a really important defining moment of your childhood? Um, well, certainly starting that business. Um, certainly my mom, um, finding 
this different direction. Um, she, the other one was she brought me to a race, uh, my sister and I to a race called the Transcendence Run. I don't think it was called the Transcendence Run at the time, but it was a th roughly a 3,000-mile foot race in Queens, New York that still exists where you go around a one-mile loop um, for 3,000 miles. And just seeing that um, and knowing what human beings were capable of if they put their mind to it really mm. changed the game. 3,000 miles? 3,000 3, loops, yeah. But how long did it take people? <laughs> well, it's like 50, 60 days. It's crazy. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I need to check that race out because that's even more extreme than anything I've heard of. Yeah, that's crazy. So... I read that along the way, you had kind of uh, maybe not complacence, the wrong word, but you had gotten in a place where you'd put on some weight and you just realized like it's time to make a life change. Um, and I think this was around college or right after college, right? Right after college, um, I still had the business. Um, I'm sorry if you're hearing some pinging in the background. Every time you hear a ping, that's an email coming in. I don't know how I'm not, I'm not computer savvy. I have no idea how to turn the sound off. but I um, love it. Let's leave it. This is cool. This just shows how busy you are. <laughs> literally 600 emails a day. It's insane. But um, what was the question? The, uh, oh, so I read about you oh, like yeah, yeah. putting on some weight and deciding you were going to change your life again. Yeah, so, so, um, so I have this uh, swimming pool um, and construction company, and I'm, I'm pretty fit because of the physical work I'm doing. And the other, the other interesting thing about doing physical work is that, you know, we all have stresses, you know, and I know running a business is extremely stressful, much more stressful than having children. And the way the human body and mind over, you know, our existence on this planet deals with those stresses is a physical response. You know, a lion shows up, you run from the lion, uh, rain, you shiver, uh, you know, you get cold, but, but the stresses in business, don't necessarily have a, a physical response where you can like shrug it off and shake it off, right? And when I went to Wall Street from the, the construction business, I was sitting on a trading desk. I was having the same or more stress running that business, and but I didn't have, I wasn't shoveling. I wasn't running. I wasn't sweating. I wasn't doing all the things on a daily basis. So not only did I gain weight, but you just don't feel great, right? You're just constantly getting pounded with all the stress and you can't, you can't physically respond to it, and um, and so I I, I sought after uh, feeling good again and losing weight and getting in shape, and I I stumbled upon adventure racing and these crazy races around the world, which was a game changer. So you kind of started your maybe more official athletic career doing some of the most extreme events in the world. Well, I, I subscribe to a uh, something called fire ready aim. I'm, I'm I'm not a believer in aim ready fire, right? Because if you if you're if you're sitting there laying out your plans and and going through every detail, you're going to talk yourself out of things. So, if I knew how hard a marathon was, or I knew how hard an Ironman was, um, and I laid it all out, I would have never signed up for these crazy races. And so you're right. I, I got very lucky in that I went right to the extreme, uh, long distance, epic adventures first because I had I just didn't know enough. If I knew more, I wouldn't have did it. 
Well, I mean, I think that's a very entrepreneurial way to think too, right? Because you can't get stuck or you don't move forward. Paralysis by analysis is a real thing. You have to just pull the trigger and get going. Pull the trigger and get going. Yep. So you've done adventure racing, Ironmans, ultras. Um, What's the hardest event you've ever done? I would say the hardest event I ever did was either either northern Quebec. I did something called the Yucatec, which is about 350 miles through just brutal, cold, wet, you know, difficult terrain, tough weather. Or um, Alaska, the Iditarod, we did uh, without the dogs. But I, but either of those, it was it was incredibly cold weather for a long period of time. Your eyelashes are frozen shut. You just can't escape it. It's wet. It's cold. It's waist deep snow. But um, but you also feel alive, and you're grateful when you're done. So. There is that that feeling of feeling alive that you yeah. can't get many other ways until you're pushed to the physical and mental limits, right? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. We're laying some foundation for Spartan here in a minute. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So I get how you decided and woke up one day and said, I got to change my life, but would you give that same advice to anybody in the world who just one day they just look in the mirror and they, they say, I'm, I need to make some changes. I'm not happy. What advice do you give them to, uh, the first step in changing their lives? Well, the thing is, um, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And so most of us, I mean, I, I, I'm just visualizing as you asked that question, New York city, for example, or any big city, the majority of people are driving, you know, an hour or two hours uh, in a car to go to work every day, and they do it day in and day out. And unless they're happy, you know, unless their their place in life is perfect, then I don't think they need to take your advice. But if you're not happy where you are, and you're looking for something else, you've got to do something different. You're not going to get a different result doing the same thing, right? So you got to get out of your comfort zone. Whether it's getting off the couch, going outside, signing up for a run, starting a side business, you got to do something that's uncomfortable. And that's where the magic happens. Well, and I I definitely think there's something about sport teaching us to uh, embrace a certain comfortable level of discomfort because you're not comfortable through most of your races. That's the point you're pushing. But you have there has to be some level where you can sustain it, right? Get get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. So you mentioned happiness. What's your definition of happiness? Um, for me, I'm extremely happy when I'm I've been productive. I I feel like we're on the planet for a very short period of time, and I want to get a lot done while I'm here. And so, I'm not happy when I'm sitting idle unless. I put the time in and the work in that day. If I if I you know if I knock checked off a bunch of boxes, knocked a bunch of stuff off the checklist, um, worked really hard, sweat you know sweat, did a ton of athletics, whatever it is, I'm happy. Otherwise, so, I'm not happy. Well, let me ask then. You know, do you are you a meditator? Do you do yoga? Do you do those things that kind of a lot of people say center you, or does that seem unproductive? Yeah, my meditation occurs during like a run or a bike or burpees or I'm not um 
right before I go to bed, I'll meditate for, you know, a couple of minutes before I'm passed out. <laughs> but, but otherwise, I'm not sitting idle. Um, and my mother, the funny thing is, my mother tried to teach my sister and I this, and she would meditate for days, day, like you never saw anything like it. And um, I just, I just couldn't sit still. Oh, I, I just, still. I wondered if your mom would have been an influence in that area of your life. Yeah. Amazing. Um, okay, so what's the most, most important thing you do every day? Most important thing I do every day is waking up. <laughs> every time. Face every the time, day. <laughs> every time I wake up, I know it's a good day because um, not waking up would suck. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the way I, that, you know, a lot of people get focused on what could be better. And we talked about that a, a few seconds ago. I focus on always saying it could be worse. So in other words, I'm pushing forward. I'm trying to get stuff done. I'm trying to be productive, uh, change people's lives. And shit happens along the way that goes wrong. Everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And I don't say, oh, my God, it could be so much better. I immediately say it could be worse. That's amazing. Right? <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> and if you look at things that way, it really helps you get through your day. Absolutely. And, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people here who are on that worst side, like they've had an event happen where they're paralyzed or they've lost a limb or they've lost important people to them or whatever. And so a lot of times there's people out there who sort of stand as a pillar and they take this burden on. They know that people look at them and say, wow, my life could be worse. It's a really interesting, I don't know, it's just an interesting thing. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so let's get into Spartan here. Let's talk about it a bit. So how? just tell me a little bit about the origin. Let's, let's share this origin story and get people really down and dirty. Yeah. So, well, definitely, I mean, the early, early uh, origin is, is my mom, the stuff we spoke about. But, but I messed around from 2001. I, I was racing in the mid-90s and then around 2001, I decided I was going to start putting on events. The events I put on were very long distance, 350 miles or more, and because that's that's what I knew, that's what I was participating in. And as you can imagine, very few people signed up for those events because there's not not that many people that want to go out for five, ten days, and um, and it's expensive. And so for about a decade. I kept messing with events of that nature, and they weren't working financially. I was getting crushed. In 2010, nine years after, nine or ten years after starting that, sitting around my kitchen on the farm in Vermont, my wife and family and friends, we said, you know, maybe I'll do something different. Maybe we'll put on a race called Spartan. And it was against my instinct because it was shorter distance. It wasn't something that I thought um, had the same cachet as these long-distance events. I loved the name. It was going to be military-inspired obstacle racing. It was going to be legit. We would someday get it in the Olympics. This was dreaming in my kitchen. My gosh. And, can you believe this? It's happening. Yeah. And, and I was only going to invest $50,000 maximum. I had lost too much money over the last decade. I was kind of burnt out. It was going to be like a last-ditch effort. And the first race had like, I want to say, 700 people. And it was in Vermont. That's huge. Huge, huge, because the previous races were getting, you know, 60. Right. Oh, my gosh. Right? So this was 700. I still lost money, and I was a bit frustrated, but 
I happened to have a guy with me at that first race who was from Discovery Channel. And he was looking around and he said, oh my God, there's something here. This is like transforming people. And I got excited because he basically gave me confirmation. And so then from there, we put on a second race and a third race and a fourth race. And all of them you know, kept losing money. But there was something there. And, um, and then eventually it just started to work. And it worked in a big way. And, you know, we got television shows and started to go international. But, but it's really a 17-year-old startup that people think just came out of nowhere. And um, <laughs> as, as I'm sure they do with, with your company or any company or anything that's hard and, and successful, really is much, much um, tougher and has a longer history than anyone from the outside understands. So you created a movement. You didn't create an event. You cre- it's the your friend said it. It's transforming lives. People are committed to Spartan. Like there's different levels of commitment. There's, you know, maybe committed versus consumed. And you've created a culture of Spartan consumption, man. The people who are addicted to your races, they live it. And it's amazing. And that is magic. That doesn't just happen. You know, you're going to hate me for saying this because of your Ironman background. I did a bunch of Ironman too, so I'm, I'm saying this about myself. But there's something about like Ironman and triathlon and traditional sports that don't have the same effect as Spartan, to your point. And I scratch my head and I wonder why. And I think it's because they're so um, perfect. In other words, uh, you, you get a more expensive bike, you really dial it in, you train very specifically, um, everything is linear, and, and, and then what happens is if there's a bad day and there's rain, a lot of triathletes will quit that day, their bike chain breaks. This is not everybody, but you know, I'm making, um, I, I'm, I'm talking in, in, in general terms here, but um, with Spartan, there's going to be rocks in your shoe. Your shoe might fall off. Um, everything that can go wrong does go wrong. It really emulates life. So because of that, I think it, it's so transformative, if that makes sense. It plus, does, yeah. Plus, it's not, it's not $700 to compete. You don't have to buy a $5,000 bike. So it's really for the masses. It, it, you know, let's talk about that because... Just right off the bat, you say military-inspired obstacle events. Most of my listeners are like, that's not happening. I'm too intimidated. So can like, can a regular person do a Spartan? We had a 696-pound guy come out and do a Spartan race, and I invited him to the farm. I got him down to 260 pounds. Oh, um, gosh. Did he live with you? He lived with us. My wow. 70, my 71-year-old, who's hot, by the way, mother-in-law, she, um, she, she, <laughs> she knocked out um, a Spartan in Tokyo three weeks ago, 71. Um, my, you know, eight-year-old, seven-year-old daughter has done the beast. Um, it's for everybody. Wow. Okay, so how does, like, my community of, say, women in their 40s uh, doing 5Ks, how do they even get started in the training? Well, I, I mean, I listen. You're you're much more proficient <laughs> at this than I am. But I tell everybody when I'm talking to the masses, it's as simple as walking a mile a day. 
doing 30 burpees and doing 30 pull-ups like at the basic basic level if you're just getting off the couch you're not going to win the event you're going to get through it you don't need that much to get through our our shorter distance event now if you want to do well you're going to train right you should learn how to climb a rope I know that sounds intimidating to many people listening, but it's not as hard as you think if you learn the technique. Um, you, you should learn how to get over a wall. You should learn how to roll under the barbed wire. But, but again, my 71-year-old 70 year uh, mother-in-law went out there without anything. She was doing yoga without anything, and she crushed it. Oh, my gosh. That's absolutely amazing. You know what? I have to admit, I haven't done one yet. You got to do it. I know. We got to get out there. I'm doing it. I got to do it. It's got to be on my bucket list here. Um, so is is doing a Spartan a solo adventure or does it require a team or community? There's like, I think there's 78,000 teams that sign up for Spartan races of you know five or more people. So um, they sign up as teams, but it's a competition. You don't have to go as hard as you want. You can stay with your team. You, it's really up to you. We, we believe in holding people accountable, so we time you. We want to get this thing in the Olympics, so you do have to attempt the obstacles. If not, you're going to do 30 burpees if you can't get it done. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not giant crowds of people out there holding hands and getting each other, you know, getting each other through it. So I, I polled my followers as to what kind of questions they may want to hear. And one of them asked, why are burpees the penalty? Well, burpees, uh, number one, I believe is the ultimate human exercise as far as getting people healthy. Why is that? It's going to sound ridiculous to many of your listeners, but, but just hear me out. I cleaned swimming pools for over a decade. A swimming pool is very much like the human body. It's got water, it's got a filter, it's got a pump. I believe most things can be cured in the body. And I've had you know, car accidents and issues like everybody else. Um, well, hopefully not lots of people out there had the car accident like I did. But um, blood flow and movement you know, in the circulatory system fix a lot of things. And so if you don't run your pool filter pump, and your filter is dirty. Before you know it, the, the, the pool turns green or black. I believe that a burpee, going down to the ground and being horizontal, jumping up and going vertical, is like cleaning the pool. It literally just clean. It's not like going for a run. Where, where, where a run, you're just standing upright. And Now, the way you run, maybe, is like cleaning the pool. <laughs> but the way most people run doesn't do it. I love this analogy. Um, if if you recall, when we did our podcast, I got you in a skirt and we did burpees in them. That's right. And you loved them. I loved them. They're great. So, so, I agree. So, yeah. So so that from a health perspective, I, I, I truly believe it, it's 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 uh, the best exercise known to the humankind. But but on a um, on a penalty level, I was very concerned that um, people would just skip obstacles. And I was not going to be involved in putting on an event that, where people were not held accountable. So I said, what is an exercise, what is a penalty that people will hate? It was obvious, the burping. <laughs> but everyone could potentially do. You could do it. You're going to hate it. And what it's going to do is going to get you more proficient at the obstacle. Nobody wants to do burpees. So they learn how to throw a spear. They learn how to climb a rope. 
They learn how to roll under the barbed wire. And, and it works because now people build these obstacles in their backyards and they're becoming better at them. Well, and back in the day, running was the penalty, if you remember gym class, you know. Um, I like this because if people actually don't do the obstacles, they're just doing a running race. Exactly. Right? Um, Okay, let's do, we don't have a lot of time because you're super busy, but I want to hear a little bit about your family. At some point, you had enough time to meet someone, fall in love and get married, and then have a whole bunch of kids. Yeah, I kidnapped her. It wasn't really (laughs) fell in love or anything, but but, um, (laughs) we met at a race um, for a few seconds, and um, she said something that really uh, triggered in my mind, the memory of my mother's side of the family. She said, um, I was walking on rocks. I was barefoot. And she said, oh, you're going to hurt your tootsies. She was referring to my feet as tootsies. And my, that's something that would have came from my mother's side of the family. And so it really struck a chord. In addition to, to her being gorgeous and me wanting to get in touch with her. So I tracked her down and, and I lied. I basically, I sent an email and I, um, I thought, I got one shot at this because if, if she doesn't respond, I can't be a stalker. And I wrote um, that I was looking to build an all-female uh, adventure racing team and that she looked really fit and she'd be good for the team. And that struck a chord with her ego, so she responded. And, um, and I convinced her to come do a, a training session, which was really secretly a date. And... Um, and I put her in a kayak, and we kayaked for eight hours, which she didn't know that we were going to do, and she had never kayaked before. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> you and you literally, she couldn't get out. Couldn't she get out. Stuck had, with you for eight hours, first I date. Had, I had to pick an activity where she was trapped. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> you and, are um, really smart. And so, um, I figured when we finally got to shore, we'd either never see each other again, or I'd have her. And. Um, and so she was, um, she was interested. And so our next trip together, so that was our first date. Our next trip together was a race I was doing in, um, in Europe. And she came along, and, and, and we got done with the race, and we were going through Monaco, and there's a casino there. And I'm not a gambler, and I had never been in the casino, but it looked pretty opulent and cool. And so I said, come on, let's go in. And we went in, and I said, hey, why don't we bet on the roulette wheel. And at this point, we knew each other total of about a week. It had been longer than a week, but we'd only physically seen each other for a total of a week, maybe maybe a couple days more. And I said, listen, why don't we bet on the roulette wheel? We'll bet my number, and if my number hits, we'll get married on the spot. <gasps> and if your number hits, you just pack up and leave. We'll never see each other again. And if uh, green, you know, zero or double zero comes out, if zero comes out, I'll get a tattoo. If double zero comes out, you get a tattoo. So anyway, we get in there, and when we get to the roulette wheel, the roulette wheel's already spinning. So technically, we didn't, we didn't make the bet yet, but it lands on my number. And so um, she's, we got to get married on the spot. And so she turns completely pale, and, um, and we joke about it, and you know, it's, it, it, there's technically a, a there's a technical glitch to the bet because the wheel had already started spinning. So I, we folded, and I said, "Okay, we'll wait. We'll, we'll wait till it spins again." And uh, double zero came out, which meant she had to get a tattoo. So we went to the tattoo parlor the next day, and she lays down, and the tattoo artist comes out, and he's about to start, and she she starts to tear up. She says, "My mother is going to kill me." 
if I get a tattoo. And so I got on the table and I got a tattoo. And then we ultimately got married. So I got a tattoo and we got married and that's the story. <laughs> that is the cool. How long did you get married there? We didn't get married there. We got married on, on our farm in, uh, in Vermont. Good uh, less, less than a year later, I think. About a year later. You, you do things in a grand manner, Joe. Fire ready aim. <laughs> and how many kids do you have now? We have uh, four children now, two boys, two girls. So you've got four awesome kids. What ages do they range? They range four, eight, nine, and 11. Whoa, you are in it. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Is uh, being a parent, tell me, about, tell me about how it's changed your life. Um, it has changed my life. Oh, and the phone rings. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, it. It's my life. Um, it it's the greatest thing ever, right? I mean, it it. Um, I'll tell you one last quick story. Um, our fourth child, my wife calls me. I'm at a race, and she's all upset. Um, and the baby might have you know meningitis or something. I don't even know what that is. I drive five hours. I get to the hospital. She's upset. The baby is shaking. It, it, it's a newborn at this point. The uh, priest walks in to give the baby last rites. Um, my wife is completely broken. I'm saying to myself, well, maybe this is what God wants. Uh, we have three healthy children. Um, and the doctor comes in and he says, look, uh, before I do another spinal tap, I'm going to uh, check the slides on the microscope because on the weekend, the guys are not as good on, as on the weekdays. So I said, okay. So he comes back in. He says, oh, it was our mistake. You can go home. Everything's okay. <laughs> so, what? Unbelievable. Un and this was a top hospital. Unbelievable. So it, it, I can't. I'm blessed. We are blessed. We have four healthy children. Everything is, is great. And, um, and, and it's a, a life-changing, as you know. Well, and being busy, I mean, you really do have to make the time to create those relationships with your kid and be in it. It's really hard for me to be in it when I'm with her. I have to force myself out of business mode or fitness mode. No, no, no doubt about it. Yeah. Okay. A couple last really quickies here. So with your Spartan Up podcast, um, you have learned secrets from the most amazing people in the world. Is there a common thread to what makes people successful? This is really easy. I'm going to tell you what the hard part is for all your listeners. The hard part is the people listening are not going to do it. But if they do it, they'll be successful. Um, number one, it's hard work. No way around it. So yes, there are simple... Um, tips and things, which I got three things I'm going to tell you, but if you think you're going to win the lottery or you think you're just going to somehow get through a 26.2 mile race, no way around it. It's going to require training and hard work. You know this. You run a business. You have children. Um, you've, you've been an incredible athlete. Number two, network. Not a network like LinkedIn or network like Facebook. Network like um, You've got to have relationships with people all over the world that would do anything for you because, because you put you know, 75 cents in 
for every 50 cents you add. In other words, you do more for people than they do for you. You don't have your hand out. So 300 interviews with the most successful people around the world, and they all say the same thing. You've got to have a bunch of people in your corner, and the only way to get that is to go above and beyond for folks. Um, I'm Listen, I'm not great at this. I, I, I don't send people birthday gifts and cards, but you got to do it. You got to build a giant network. Third thing, passion. You got to be passionate about what you do, otherwise you shouldn't be doing it. Because it comes out. People around you get inspired because you're so passionate about that thing. And and so you got to figure out what your true north is in life. Make sure you're doing that and you are extremely passionate and energized and you're an energy giver to everybody around you, not an energy taker. Wow. Those three things. Those three things and you win. Well, incredible. Um, my very last question that I ask every person I interview, the title of this podcast is called Run This World. And it's actually based on the loose time it takes the average person to do a 5K, which is 36 minutes and 38 seconds. We're almost perfect today. Right. Um, so here it is. If you could give our listeners one final piece of advice, one nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Delay gratification. Don't take the cookie. In other words, um, there's going to be lots of things that come at you during your day uh, where you could have instant gratification versus playing a long-term game. Don't hit the snooze button in the morning. Don't skip the workout. Don't um, you know? get to your meetings five minutes earlier. Like, Don't take the cookie. Don't have that extra glass of wine at night. Don't eat the dessert. You, these are insignificant decisions that, that you will always say and your friends will say they're no big deal. Let me tell you, when strung together, all those little decisions add up and they change your life in a, either a positive way or a negative way. Awesome. Really cool. Joe, so great talking to you today. Thank you so much for carving out a little bit of time for us. Now you got to hit all those 75 emails that just came in. <laughs> and, and my 300 burpees. I didn't do them yet. I'll see you later. All right. Thanks, Joe. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Wow. This is one of those episodes with Joe DeSena where you're going to come back to it again and again just to pull out way too many amazing nuggets. Um, my One of my favorite things that he hit on are the three keys that successful people have. And I love how he said, well, you're not going to do it because the number one thing is hard work. Well, maybe he doesn't know us. You know what? <laughs> we know how to work hard. I know you're all working hard right now, pumping out your 5K this weekend. Hard work is number one. Network, number two. It's about relationships. Going at things with pure intentions, doing more for people than they do for you, not because you want something down the road, although maybe you will be able to come back and find uh, reciprocation, but because that's just who you are. And number three, passion. Because if you don't believe truly and deeply in the power and the success of something, you will not have it. So write those down. Hard work, real network, not networking, building your life network and passion. And finally, <laughs> I love his final nugget. This one's really hard for me. Delay gratification. Don't take the cookie. I mean, seriously, 
I love those small bites of instant gratification. And maybe there's nothing wrong with the small bites, but in the bigger picture, make sure that you're doing things for the right reason. And sometimes, very often, that means delaying that gratification and pushing yourself that extra step. All right, everybody, it's a wrap. Awesome, awesome episode on Father's Day weekend. Couldn't be more fitting. And uh, if you have a chance to check out Spartan Race, please do. I kind of think I need to put it on my bucket list. It might be a 2018 endeavor. Is anybody with me? Should we do this? My gosh, we kind of have to. I mean, Joe's 75 or whatever age mother-in-law went out there and did a Spartan. Jeez. Come on, everybody. What's 300 burpees? No big deal. We better start training right now. All right. With that, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.